Hey Film Hustlers, it's Mark Roberts. Just wanted to thank you for listening to the show and to remind you to share, to review, to rate, lay down a comment on Instagram. We would appreciate it. Also want to say that we had a great time doing the show this season. We did a short film that Tootie directed and wrote that David, Dave and I produced. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to show that to you soon. I also want to thank our sponsor and our partner, ExtremeMusic.com, for always supporting us uh, and making it possible for us to share our experiences as indie producers and film hustlers with you guys. We have a great guest on the show today, Richard Montoya, filmmaker, playwright, actor, producer, director. He does it all. Enjoy the show. You ready? All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Film Hustlers. We're here with the biggest film hustler of all, Richard Montoya. Pow, yeah. pow, pow, pow. What's, What's the world up, coming Richard? to? <laughs> uh, now, you know, I, I don't have a paper to read the, the credits, but I gotta go, we got to go way back. <clears throat> you look like you're 40, but... Uh, Seriously, you look, you look, you too, look young. Thank you very much. Thank you. The same You're on a special diet or something. No, I was in Mexico for a week, oh, yeah. like partying on. Oh, yeah. I just sea salt and sun. Yeah. <laughs> and tequila. And tequila. Yeah, tequila, yeah. But you've been doing work for a lot of years. You made it when you were little, like mid-20s, early 30s, when you were on television with Culture Clash. Culture Clash made a huge splash. Like You guys were the first Latinos to do like literally everything, like comedy troupe, getting on national television, being watched by millions of people. I mean, you guys were killing it. Like, tell me a little bit about the beginnings of your career. I mean, and you had a, you have a famous father who is no longer with us, R.I.P., who was a great poet. Everyone knew him. He was important to the movement, the whole thing. Tell me a little bit about the beginning. Well, we had come from someplace, mainly San Francisco's Mission District, and that was the culture clash, the three guys, Herbert Seguenza, Rick Salinas, and myself. They, Why'd you call it that? You know, it, it, we're, we're a complete... Uh, tragedy of the 80s. That's that's such an 80s name, you know, Culture Clash you know, yeah, yeah. and Culture Club. And, and, and boy, George uh, tried to sue us later in life. And we happen to have, at that moment, a great lawyer named Nina Shaw, who's... Uh, She's uh, still around. Jamie Foxx's lawyer and Fishborn's. I mean, we just were lucky to have a great lawyer. And she was like... She wrote back to, to the Culture Club people that if, if anyone's mistaken Boy George for a Chicano satire group, then the world's going to hell. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and we never heard from them again. You know, it's like, it was so in Culture Clash, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but it was only because we, we did luck out and, and embark and stumble upon that early exposure in our mid-30s. Uh, which is late already, but not late for Chicanos because we age a little bit differently, right? right but right. so I remember the first time, Mark, that, that um, we knew what a time slot was. We knew what ratings were. We hit a seven o'clock on a Saturday right after Lucille Ball on on Channel Eleven, wow. uh, Fox Own Station Group, and we got a seven share, and that was bigger than Jeopardy on ABC. And we didn't know what we didn't know what the hell that meant. And all the technicians and showrunners were like. They were dumbstruck, like, you guys, you have a show. You're, you beat Jeopardy. That wouldn't last forever, but it sure shot us out of a rocket and pissed a lot of people off, too, at the same time. And, and I remember about 11 shows in, Rupert Murdoch's in our control room, you know? Nicest gentleman, unassuming, that guy from The Simpsons, but that's Rupert Murdoch, yeah. you know? And he's watching us as we have Dolores Huerta on and Eddie Olmos and... Um, Luis Valdez, and, 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 and soon after that, we did about 30 shows and they yanked the plug. To this day, it's hard to find the tapes or get Fox to admit that they did this wildly Chicano, Latino, Salvadoran show. At the same time, Jeff Valdez was doing 
comedy compadres at the same time. George Lopez hadn't quite hadn't quite shot yeah. off. I mean, literally, Mario Lopez is is one of our first and biggest stars really at that time. And we he, had Mario on. He was on it, right? What Mario came into Word of the Day like a true champ, you know? <laughs> and those kinds of things just shot us out there. And we hung on for 30 shows or a season and a half. It, thir- 30 shows is interesting. Honeymooners was a was a max of 52 shows. So wow. Why were people oh, mad, though? What, what were people upset about? George Lopez got pissed off, man. I don't know what the hell. You know, it's like Chicanos, it's like a game show. What's the pedo? Nobody remembers what the original <laughs> pedo was. Maybe because you were good. Maybe because I should have been doing that. Yeah. Maybe because, you know, and, and but no one's laughing at George Lopez now except the audience, you know. Yeah. So George is... George is fine, and you know everyone's blowed up. But we still come from those humble playwriting roots because when we got Culture Clash TV show, we already been a theater company for 15 years. So we, you know, every auditorium, every community center, every cafeteria, we played them from the Gilroy Garlic Festival to the Lincoln Center or Kennedy Center, and we learned so much along that path. But we we'd been to a troupe for quite a while. And that sort of helped us get into that kind of myopic space of, you know, I have a TV show and we have a writer's room. Let me tell you about our writer's room, man. Jimmy Fallon's sidekick, uh, Higgins, Boys and Gruber. Uh, Higgins was our head writer. He's one of the head writers on SNL to this day. Yeah, he's genius. Yeah, and, and he's, he's uh, Jimmy Fallon's, you know, right-hand guy. Uh, we had Seinfeld's best friend and... and um, Barry Martyr. These guys were geniuses, and we just caught them in a lull. And Lalo Alcaraz and Josefina Lopez, and we had some crazy ass wild, you know, drunkards we brought in that we thought could be good writers. And we had a lot of groundlings and Second City people that they were already pros, man. And they they gave us that little edge, that sharpness that we needed to actually. How do you write a television sketch, you know? And we're going to go back to those, Mark, because whether it's a documentary or whatever the case may be. Um, those 30 shows are pretty damn good and Fox won't admit they have them we've tried legally to get them and it was just an anomaly it was something that they would never do again House of Buggin would last six episodes we were on at the same time as uh, In Living Color and kind of matching them and sharing writers like Rick Nahara Um, but a lot of those early guys the bigger stars they were aware of us they saw it and I later would hook up with Laguizamo at Sundance Labs, he told me, I told my writers to watch every damn episode of Culture Clash. Clearly br- groundbreaking. I mean, do you think, like Hentified, I mean, we can't seem to get anything to stick. Mm-hmm. I mean, some things stick, but really, there's great shows that continuously get on television last two seasons, or in your case, less than two seasons, and then they're gone. It, it should should uh, these networks be sticking with it a little bit longer? Should they be giving, I mean, what is the adjustment? Did they ever say, may, do something different? You know, I, I believe that Brian Graydon and some of the great guys that helped develop MTV that were our executives at that time, I, I think when we realized what we had, it was just a little tiny bit too late. Like, And you guys were ahead of the bar. By the time Rupert Murdoch's standing in your control room, you're pretty much done because he's seen firsthand what you're doing, you know. <laughs> That's funny. And that we got some crazy, we got, you know... Um, Cypress Hill doing Word of the Day. We've got Suicidal Tendencies doing Word of the Day. They're just going, what the? You you can't get Jimmy Smiths every week, but we'd have Jimmy Smiths too. They loved Mario. They loved Jimmy. They loved those guys. But we kind of had the the other edge too. And then we'd have Gloria Molina and Dolores Huerta, and people would be like, what's the grape lady doing here? (laughs) We literally heard that (laughs) from our own producer. But you're stumbling through, and you're not quite realizing what you have. And 
the thing is not to go through life hearkening back or or being winsome and, and wanting all that back but if you stick in it long enough and you know this best the chance the door the bus the whatever may come back around and when you come back around and if you're sitting across the table from Kurt Sutter as our friend Emiliano uh, uh, Emilio Rivera does and so Mayan's last five seasons but you've got to have Kurt Sutter in your corner then yeah. then you've got those five seasons but if you've got something new and and you know out of the norm like Hentified or Vida or something it's it, it's going to be a struggle yeah. and you take your 20 to 30 episodes and 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 try to do something you else. make Take that, package that, repackage that. We're going to be yeah. selling ours late night television because they do they do hold up, and they were some of the first truly cholo comedy, you know, truly Chicano comedy, weird ass Central American comedy. And what would happen? What would happen, Mark? Is then we'd go back into our theater, and George Carlin would send a note backstage, and George would say, "I was here tonight, Culture Clash." Keep kicking them in the cojones, you know. Love George or Tom Hanks. Handwritten note, Tom Hanks. But George's was interesting because every time we didn't kick them in the cojones, every time we tried to play it safe, it was failure. Yeah, but when work. we when we were kicking them, it, it's that's when we had the best agencies. That's when we had, you know, a lot of different things going on. And then you know, a career is a career. It, it ebbs and flows. And the thing is to get to the point where we are now, where we have diversified so much that. Um, that, that we can do many things. And I think that's one of the things we try to share with young people in the business. Like, look, I'm a playwright. I'm also a dad. I also write the occasional movie. You allowed me to direct a movie, which is why I'll always love you. And you left me alone. And you said, you won't get this chance again. I didn't know what that meant, but now I do. Right. <laughs> and I'm a guy that watches every Sopranos 50 times, especially hmm. the last season. And when, when uh, Tony tells Christopher... You, you, you. <laughs> Whatever happens, Christopher, 100 years from now, they're not going to be talking about us, but they can, they can watch your movie. Because yeah. Christopher makes a movie in the final season. That's right, yeah, yeah. And I remember you telling me those very goddamn words, you know, like, you, you have made a movie. And I'm like, and, and I, can, I can not hang it up like a trophy that you win in a high school football game and you're looking at it for the rest of your life, but, like, you want to get back to that mark. You want to get back to telling stories because we are storytellers. We're passionate about them. And whether we're ebbing, whether Hollywood is, is always will be sympathetic and, and produce you and give you carte blanche, that, that's, that's likely not to happen. Yeah. But we can find ways to skin that cat so that when the TV thing comes, when the opportunity comes to pitch, to look at executives and, and, and you, can, you tell them why your story needs to be told. I'm finding more and more right now that the executives are younger, they're more millennial, they're more diversified, and they, and they will listen. We're not going into any pitch reading saying, do you remember Culture Clash on TV show? We're saying, here's what we think's happening right now, and here's our response to it, and you want to, you know, rock and roll with this. So we just kind of finding those, those moments and those things. Because you told me the other day you should be in more rooms. I get in an occasional room, and when I get there, I just got to be more prepared than the next guy, yeah. like you guys do. Well, that's for sure. I mean, before we fast forward, I just want to say, Culture Clash, 40 years? Yep. Show's coming? When's the show happening and where? Uh, Cinco de Mayo. We're going to do one in L.A. We're going to do one in San Francisco, Bay Area, Berkeley, where we're from. But we're going to... Um, we're already booked into the Soroyan Theater. It's at Cal State Northridge. It's a 3,000-seater. It's a gorgeous state-of-the-art. System of a Down plays there. Lila Downs plays there. 
big, big. And so we're going to see how many of our friends we can get. Like Cheech, you yeah. know, we'll Eddie. beg, we'll beg Eddie. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll send a Volkswagen for, for Mario. You know. We'll go to <laughs> Chula Vista if we have to. <laughs> but 40 years, congratulations. That's amazing. And you're all <laughs> hilarious and you're all uh, pioneers. And What lasts four, what lasts four no, years what does? these days? Yeah. What lasts? No marriage. My kid doesn't know what he watched four minutes ago on TikTok. <laughs> exactly. you know? 40 years. Yeah. So it's a milestone, you know, and like I say, Mark, we're celebrating it. We're not... You know, there's not an executive in town that really cares about that. In fact, it's kind of goes the opposite way and works against you. But it's it's the people that do their research and, you know, we just get those strange, wonderful calls. Like, yeah. look, I'm writing scripted television about the border or I am wanting to talk about urban Latino issues or what are you guys thinking about? So thank God, you know, that stuff occasionally comes in. Yeah. You know? No, that's exciting. I'm really proud of you guys. You guys are, uh, like I said, pioneers. You guys definitely uh, inspired a lot of the work that I do. Um, but I'm, I'm really happy for you guys. I want to go see it. I was at the 25-year at UCLA. That's right. I was in the audience, and I think Carlos Mencia opened the show. I can't remember. Is that, was that, does that, does that yeah, ring a bell? Yeah, Carlos, uh, Zach De La Rocha. Carlos, man, he, you know, he was always on the, on the edge. I, <laughs> he's still struggling to, to keep himself, uh, you know, out of trouble, but he's, be, he's being pretty honest. I follow him on Instagram. And well, he came back. He came back with some heat. He's back now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he's, yeah and he's, he puts up his dukes, man, and he takes on, you know, big established comics, or they go, you know, back and forth. Um, I was talking to... A gentleman that's an artist named Chaz Bojorquez for another doc. Chaz did the lettering for this fool. So those beautiful, Uh, awesome. You know, and this fool's a smart show. It's one of the miracles. It's a it's a cholo show. So the writing has to be authentic. We had cholo fit on here. Yeah, we had him on the show. uh, Chaz did the writing, and and he's really close with with mugs and and with B. That's great. And he's like, man, I was just uh, because he did the lettering for their latest album. Because I was at the drop, man, the album drop, man. (laughs) And he goes, man, we got so high. You know, he goes, the gift bag. There's like about a thirty thousand dollar gift bag that you get from Cypress, and (laughs) and 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 Soul Assassins, and they own every business that's in your gift bag. See, that's that's a model. That's that's doing it, man. That's Mac Daddy. That's Mac Daddy style. You know. Let's um, let's fast forward a little bit. Like, yeah, um, you were you got you know. In addition to working with Culture Clash and doing all the work you did, you uh, you know you're writing plays. You're in plays. You're acting in plays. Um, You guys are doing shows, and you've been doing that consistently for your whole career. The first time I saw something you did, I went to the Mark Taper Forum. I didn't know you. I didn't know anybody in the troupe. I didn't know anyone in your show. I didn't know Emilio. But I went to see the show, and I fell in love with Water and Power, and I insisted on meeting you afterwards. It was funny because it was Patty Astor who invited me because I got the $10 ticket from her or something like that. She had, like, a free ticket or something. But I, I insisted on meeting you, and we met. And I said, I want to turn this into a feature. And you said, I'm already working with Gary Binko. He's going to turn it into a feature. And I think my wor- exact words to you, because I'll never forget I said it. I said, uh, when G- Gary fails, give me a call. <laughs> and uh, and it's funny because I, call- I kept in touch with you. I kept asking every six months, say, hey, what's going on? Oh, no, well, you know, labs or whatever it was. And then finally, I think a year later, you were like, hey, I think it's falling out. It's not going to happen. So if you want, if you want in, let's do it. So I was super excited, and 
we ended up working with Michelle Satter and Sundance, which was your contact. They loved you mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. You had done amazing work at the labs, which very, you know, few filmmakers get the opportunity to do. And we went to Michelle and Michelle sat down. And I think two weeks later we were financed. I mean, the, there's much more of a story there and I don't want to get into it because then it becomes all about me. <laughs> but um, but it was uh, it was kind of a serendipitous, beautiful thing that we that we set up. And it was very quick. And Michelle Satter gave us the right people. Uh, Jim Flash, who funded the entire movie, rest in peace. He was a terrific dude, really behind the project. And it's a beautiful film. And I got to tell you, all of the work that you did as a writer as a creator all the script that you wrote that people knew about brought out such great actors man i was like like i remember being on set one night we're in the middle of east la there was a piece of meat hanging in the middle of a of a scene and there's clancy brown yeah right nowhere to sit no dressing room you know in the middle of nowhere, it's midnight, one o'clock in the morning, he's waiting to do his kick-ass scene that the whole reason he took the movie, getting his $800 a week, <laughs> you know? And we had uh, Roger Guinevere Smith, yep. who, I mean, if you watch his scenes, like they're classic, like the, the dialogue and- Classic I mean, deep cover, beautiful. classic deep uh, Prince of New York. He comes from the Spike Lee school. He's baptized my children. Who Great. is his buddy? Who is his buddy that was in it? That was the other cop, the white guy. Kirk Ward. Kirk Ward. Kirk is showrunner on John Wick shows <laughs> right now. Like everyone we touch He's goes on without us. Yeah, but, but but they're still your friends and they don't forget you. And if you're lucky, you get moments like this in the hills of Hollywood yeah. and you get to talk to people. So Nick Gonzalez. Nick Gonzalez. Enrique Murciano. Yeah. On, uh, Bloodline. Last thing I saw Enrique on. You know, good, good, good actors, man. I mean, we had such fun. I mean, it was a very short shoot. You know, we had uh, our line producer was Lorenzo. Five seasons on Narcos. Wanda yeah. de Jesus. Yeah, Wanda de Jesus. You know. Amazing. Yeah, we had uh, such great people. Emilio I mean, Rivera, his wife. Those, those were. We had a stag, a deer. Got a stag card that night. <laughs> the highest paid, the highest paid actor on our set That's was right. a deer. And, and, it's in uh, the trailer and it's beautiful. But, but, but let's go back to one thing that does focus on you. And I remember a lunch in Phoenix, Arizona, and I saw Absolute Gunslinger in you because the guy was kind of hemming and hoss, you know, the, the money guy, Jim. 200000 he was in for, yeah. Wonderful, Jim. And yeah. you just looked at him, you know, somewhere before dessert and you said, Jim, you got you to gotta finance the whole thing. And, and I, I didn't kick you on the table, but I kind of nudged like, Mark, Mark, you know, Mark. And your look to me was like, if you don't have something to say, don't open your mouth. And you told me that more than once because actors, artists always want to say something. A lot right? of talk, a lot of talk, a lot of talk. And you're like, no, it's time to say, Jim, you got to do this whole thing or we're going to get up and I don't even think there was Uber. We're going to walk back. He was with Facebook when they started. You know, he's the kind of guy that you could shake his hand and you know. So what happened six weeks later? I needed him to come up with the rest yeah. of the money, and he did. And it was great because we needed no interruption to the production because there was all these amazing actors and people and interest in the movie. It was just, it was a good time. We're shooting in the middle of, like, you know, East Los Angeles, in the middle of the street, we were, cop cars that weren't even ours. You're shooting the cop cars. We had, cars. like, a, a real gang from San Diego, my compadres, <laughs> came to apparently run drugs in Downey for two weeks while they were here. They were like, sure, we'll go. Out of a, we'll hotel, cash. Out of a hotel. They were totally making cash on the side right it's like donnie brosco I, did you get anything going in miami no i thought we weren't supposed to talk about that like what'd you have going in la when you came all kinds of stuff right and that 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 uh, the meat 
the large side of beef hanging in a warehouse in downtown LA. That's where we, we had Clancy and a taco truck yeah. and a great cinematographer who, you know, we lost this year. Rest in peace. Uh, Cheo. Oh, he passed away. He oh, passed away. Dude, that. I dreamt him the night before he died. I dreamt oh. him and it was like, he wasn't saying sorry, but he said we did good because yeah. he was a tough dictatorial old school shot Panero with Benjamin Bratt shot a ton of stuff, but old school didn't want to, hear about steady cam and my my thoughts he was laying down tracks you know hmm. and just a really old school you guys got a lot of stuff in a short period of time. we got a lot of and thir- dude we shot in 13 nights that's crazy and we were shooting uh on 49th and broadway downtown um and, and that hotel that had jacuzzis and cages in the real hotel yeah I remember and there was that. a double homicide a block away and you were like uh, we're never going to get helicopters this close and uh, fire trucks. Let's go. Sh- we shot B-roll for two hours, and and, and, and they had and, shut down the street. They they couldn't even get into where we were. And the the fire trucks were engine thirteen, and everything in our movie was thirteen. Mm-hmm. And here comes fire trucks thirteen, like one after another. And we ended up with a rented cop car that was cop car number thirteen, and and and. <laughs> well, and, that was that was an amazing experience. We did go, we did uh, uh, do a deal through Sundance to um, Netflix. So we were on Netflix for two years, yeah, which was exciting. And uh, and the film is beautiful. If you haven't seen Water and Power, you can see it on all the streaming uh, channels. Uh, you were in um, Nacho Libre, right? Yeah. You have a great part. There's memes out there all over the place oh, of your character, a, it, Nacho it's, Libre. It's a cool classic, right? Uh, you guys were uh, you got called up by um, Tom Hanks to be in his movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are the lucky days. You, right? know? you guys, you guys, you guys performed at the Getty. Oh yeah, right. In Numerous that, times in the stadium and got amazing reviews. And then we went on and I tapped you for uh, Almaraz, which ended up being a beautiful, beautiful story about a wonderful artist that everyone should see. It's on Netflix for ten years, and uh, we did the impossible. Here we were, a film that got to go to every film festival we could get onto. It did really well. Uh, the art world loves it. We got voted number one art doc in the art news world, which yep. is a really huge big deal. And we premiered in 61 countries. And we go back and watch it, and it's why Cheech Marin calls it a relentless documentary. And that's because of the relentless, restless energy. There's 60, 70% of the film is what I really wanted to make. And when you're co-directing, you warned us against it, that's all you can really hope for. You, yeah. got, you got 50% of your vision in there, which is kind of remarkable anyway, Yeah, um, because it was such a highly personal film for 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 Elsa Flores Almaraz widow of of Carlos as a personal film because we both come from the Chicano art world we know it it's in our blood our family made their bones helped to define that world um so it was it, we were walking into a powder cake <laughs> the Osco art people have been making their doc now with Costello our great producer Costello de la yeah, Rocha yeah. and these things they get top heavy they're hard to lift off because they're so personal for everyone. Yeah. You know, I want that documentary to succeed about Gronk and Harry Gamboa and Patsy Valdez, but but they they're they're in that place where we were, like just trying to agree what what is it? What yeah. is the film? I mean, but if you watch uh, if you watch uh, Carlos Almada's playing with fire, you will see something that there was arguments, there was you know bottles thrown, there was a lot of conflict in that in the production of that movie it took three years to make to make but had it not been for all of that creative energy going into it i don't think it would have been what it was or or what it is and i also think that when you watch it doesn't matter who you are we did a documentary about someone that people didn't know very well 
Mm-hmm. And when you watch it, you wish you knew him. Mm-hmm. And that's what I consistently get from people that watch it and had no idea who Carlos was. So if you haven't seen it, you should check it out because it is amazing. To this end, you know, there's a couple exciting things happening currently. I'm no dummy. I can't sit at home and write plays all day if they right. don't put food on the table. What do you got going? What do you, what's going on? Well, you know, I just signed uh, very rare for a Chicano to both sign an NDA and to understand what an NDA is. <laughs> I still don't know what an NDA is. I because sign all the time. we like to cheese me out, man. It's like we put everything on Facebook. Oh, you're Mexican. You got to sign hey, this. Hey, man. I think it's, I'm going to get lucky with my old lady tonight. Like, why did you post that? I don't know. I was feeling lucky. <laughs> but... Uh, I, I got to the point, Mark, where I was in the most ridiculous pitch meetings where I literally, someone said to me, we're not doing workplace zombie right now. <laughs> workplace zombie. I'm like, wow. And then five zombie, you know, programs. Come right, exactly. With, with some of our good friends. But what they're not doing is Latino zombie. We're right. not doing Latino zombie right. right now. And I don't like to wear the woe is me, you know, because we, we don't go through our life as victims. We're going through our life, you know, with the, that little bit of swagger, but that knowledge that we have. So I'm not going to say, well, you know, boohoo and Hollywood is, is, you know, not listening. It's like when they are listening, what is, what is it that you, that you want to say? Yeah. It takes one show to cause a ripple. It takes yeah. one Atlanta, one empire, one, one, this fool, one of them to say, you know what? There's, there's a bunch more where that came from. Yeah. And, and the shy does it, the wire does it. So it's comedy and it's, and it's, it might be Uber Chicano or Cholo, but it's also rings true and authentic and funny. Yeah. And I think that that's still my, my roll of the dice is that that, that still can count yeah. for something here. Let's talk about this for a sec. What stories do we want to tell? Because at the end of the day, you, me, David, Dave, we all know Mario, everybody, Benjamin Bratt, we all know that you have to go into a room and be better than the executive, right? They're not looking for you to give them something they like. They're looking for you to blow their mind all the time so that they can go to their boss and go like, wait a minute, I just got my mind blown. You wait till you hear what I'm about to tell you, right? And you tell a story in a very short period of time that they can then replicate because it's a game of telephone in show business, (laughs) right? That's all it is. It's a game of telephone. I'm going to tell you, you're going to tell your boss and maybe I'll get another meeting. Game of phones. What do you feel is the missing element to the Latinos telling their stories on television and in film and, and, and it being successful all over the world. Netflix is releasing shit in 200 countries. 200 million people are watching each movie they release. How do we become part of the worldwide uh, releases when we're tr- telling stories that are so specific to our groups? Well, you ask a universal important question. That's a tough question, I know. If I knew the answer, <laughs> I might be sitting across town in Century City. But, uh, I'm doing pretty good right now. I'm at Access Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, you I'm are. pretty damn good. Yeah, you are. That's the question we all need to answer, right? And I, I mean, I, For me, where I'm sitting, Mark, a humble playwright from the east side who tries to crack open every now and then, um, there's many ways to skin the cat, and I think one way to skin the cat is the the story you tell about Frankie Quinones, uh, just playing a teacher. And, yeah. and yeah, um, my friend tried like hell to get me into uh, uh, Twilight. I was went back for three, four times reading for the teacher in Twilight. Some mm. other Latino got it, but but Catherine Harderwick wanted a Latino not to be wearing a sign around their neck saying I'm Latino. It's a it's a Washington high school that's set right, but she she got. You know, directors, executives, the gatekeepers, they're, they're, 
we want them to buy into this idea that, that diversity. I was watching Bill Maher last season, and there was a panel of Anglo writers, and they were like, you know, do ethnic writers make the writing rooms better? And they, they, they floated it out there with great doubt. Well, that's what they have to do because they were all white writers. But the Star <laughs> Wars packages are excellent, man. Yeah. And they've, they've got an array of diversity and ethnicities. And that's what makes them amazing because they're so rich. They, and no one's on Star Wars saying, I'm playing, I'm playing a U.S. black person. No. But that, <laughs> that Starfleet commander is a brother. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. That sure is interesting, man. Yeah. And there's Jimmy Smith's popping up. And, and there's Diego Luna, for God's sakes, with whatever accent. Well, the Mexico City Chilango accent. And, man, that... that Goosebumps over here because that makes it's for some reason it's very compelling, right? Uh, and and when 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 he gets the the Anglo Starfleet commander, you're pulling for yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> you're getting in there, brother. Um, and and the other way to skin the cat is just to go in there and say, you know, uh, we've got like an Atlanta type story or this full type story or the shy, and it is culturally specific to this. And let me tell you why. And once we're in there, how we're going to make it relatable, you know, and universal. So for, for Cholo vampires, it's a death to the battle with hipster zombies. And what, what's universal is the humor. Like you're on my street. Yeah, (laughs) totally. Your street. I do land acknowledgements. You don't, you know, I think you should be doing a movie a year. I think you should be doing more TV stuff. Like these things that you want to do. They are recently because we've still got a few friends in the town, right? We've still got a few teeth in our head as uh, John Houston says in Chinatown, but people are aware that we're there. Not everyone's hundred percent sure what what we do all the time, Mm. but, and, and particularly, well, Montoya made a movie. Uh, Seguenza's in Ben 10. These guys are interesting and weird, and they're an anomaly, and we're freaks of nature. We've been together 40 years. Cheech and Chong didn't even last 40 years. Los Lobos, I think, are at 5-0. You know, it's like, it, it's that club of people. But for the smart executive that does their research, sometimes it's led them back to our table. And that's the important email, the important game of phones as you say you know that what you say in that moment and how you can help so when i respond by an email to someone that is coming off of handmaid's tale and they're they're coming off of uh big prestigious shows and they want to do something set in the border who the hell else are they going to really go to i've lived in cartel country that's where it's my bailiwick that's the one thing i have in life is that that realness, that authenticity, you know, I don't have five homes, but I got one home. A beautiful home. And that's, that. that's all I need. You know, my kids are healthy. Uh, my wife causes some problems at Costco, but I'm, I'm relatively okay. <laughs> so when they do come, I want to say, look, there's gender issues going on at the border. There's don't fall in love with all the police agencies. Cause I work with a lot of cops and I always end up falling in love with the cops. You've really got to go on both sides. The border is full of kids from Afghanistan, full of kids from Haiti, full of um, white looking folks from the Ukraine. You know, all of that truth has to come in so that you're not just talking about gun runners, narcos and, 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 sure. and cops. You're talking about the human toll. And by the way, our friends work on narcos, you know, yeah. and, and there's this intelligence that you need. So it's, for me, Mark, it's about locking them in and responding on the page to them so that my email almost becomes a piece of literature like this this dude is smart this guy is coming at us from different levels well people know that about you and i think uh i don't know man i think uh our 
world uh, would benefit a lot from you being part of uh, some of these rooms. I think that you ride the line in a way that is necessary for uh, comedy and stories to be told. Mm. I think you. I think any room like uh, CSI. I mean, I can name. Mm. I can mm-hmm. name probably half the shows on TV that you would actually make better by the dialogue and the thoughts and the and the arguments that you would have. So I would love to see you do more work. I hope that that happens. Uh, I don't know why it's not happening, but it would be awesome if it did. Is someone going to explain to me who these handsome son of a bitch is? <laughs> this is uh, Rod Titty Rinks. He's our uh, co- co-host. He just didn't make hey, it. Rod he didn't Rinks. make it. Here he is. Co-host? Yeah. I'm sorry. The host creator. <laughs> the creator. Thank you. The creator of Thank the show. You. Nice. The inventor. This is Richard Montoya. Richard Montoya. Mucho gusto, senor. Good to meet you. But, I'd like to know who you. I'm sitting around the card table with. But <laughs> we have to, we have to take our, take, tip our hats to ExtremeMusic.com because they're our sponsor. They yes. make it possible for us to speak to filmmakers and talk to them about what you're doing and what we're doing and how they can do better for themselves. Um, but uh, extrememusic.com for all your music needs. They're amazing. Uh, they put music in almost every movie I've ever done except for Water and Power because I didn't know them back then. But, uh, but yeah, check them out. Um, just to wrap up, uh, is there anything else you want to say? We just, we just have to permeate the culture like when I look at Blue Beetle, when I, when I look at, if I am really talking about Cholo Vampires, I'm at Comic-Con. That's got me in Comic-Con, mm. you know, and I got to be there. And that's where the marketplace is to start, you know, ingratiating ourselves with that culture that that's the one true borderless, colorless world because there's a lot of masks, right? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I understand why Sons of Anarchy were there. So Sons of Anarchy to Mayans and all of our buddies on Mayans, that's a legit phenomenon. That's 10 years worth of television. I don't know if you know this or not, but... You know, getting like we would, you and I would go to Eddie Olmos's house, knock on the door, walk in with like a mic and a fucking computer, and and he would record VO, never ask for a a, a dollar. I'm talking about four or five times going to this guy's house. I was embarrassed. Like, I want you to know, people come out for you, dude. I think I think you need to remember who you are. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget who you are to the people that are out there working. They will come out for you, and you should keep asking them to do so um, because. I've asked Eddie to be on this podcast and he hasn't shown up. And I've asked to go shoot, do it at his house and he hasn't said yes. So you have power with the most powerful names of our generation and other generations. And you should lean into that as part of your superpower because it's definitely there. You have it. And you need to keep at That's how we do stuff. You have tons of people that surround you and want to be part of that. I think that you got to get out there with that and you got to keep tapping it. Thank you. It's, it's hard to feel that when you're standing in line at the DMV at Montebello. <laughs> Dude, I, I, <laughs> and just one guy from way back on the other side of the counter is, that's Richard Montoya. That's the guy from Nacho Libre. And you go, excuse me, people, step aside. Step aside. I'm going to the front of the line. Let him through. Let him through. And it happens every once in a while, but that, that, that's so nice to hear. You know, it's, just, it's hard to remember that when you're fighting with your old lady in blue eyes. Hey, man. That's a neighbor's dog. <laughs> yeah. well, you, know. you have a beautiful home, by the way. But, it's it's uh, it's a, a classic, man. It, someone recently posted uh, your your high school '83 football. I did. I, I posted my Dude, own my own picture. That in high reminds school. us who we are. You know? Yeah, That's yeah, like, for there sure. There we are. That's what I was. Man in '83. <laughs> Dude, I was I was proud of that picture. That stupid J C Penney's uh, three piece suit that I'm wearing. Oh my god, it was like fifty nine bucks. But uh, but thanks for being on the show. Thanks for coming down. Yeah. Continue the good work, and uh, yeah, let's let's uh, let's do it again uh, real soon. Pleasure talking to you, Jim. All right, guys. I really appreciate the platform. Man. See you. you next time on Film Hustlers. Film Hustlers. Thanks, thanks for showing up, Rod. Okay, thanks a lot. I what a dick. <laughs> <laughs> what a dick.